good morning, good morning. How are y'all today? Let's stand up together. I don't know if y'all like fall, but I like fall. It's beautiful. All kinds of colored leaves falling from the air and some respite from heat. Um, so let's just pray this morning and thank God for what he's doing. He's doing things all the time. Whether we're paying attention or not is the question. But God, I thank you for the things that we may have forgotten to thank you for recently. I thank you for fall. I thank you for the beauty of creation, which we're even going to sing about today. I thank you for those who are here this morning who have chosen to get up and come to believe in something that you created 2,000 years ago called the church. We, do, we could be doing a lot of other things today, but today as we worship you, we pray mostly that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, because we didn't come here today just for our own good, for our own purposes. You're so good that as we glorify you, we become changed, and we thank you for that, but we want you to be honored. We want you to be glorified. We want you to get the, the recognition that you deserve, God. So we just love you, we praise you, we bless your name. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. May God be glorified today. We love you. Amen.
worship you. We come into your presence, God. And we worship you. You are so good, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Love you so much, Lord. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of and as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath. The planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I.
I don't know if you can tell she's in the presence of God and it flows out of her and in this second song she she wasn't even here she was in his presence and along with that comes chorus singing and some people heard a baby making noise and I heard what's going on praising God and if you miss that I'm sorry for you and you may be a singer and you may not be but I want to encourage you and we're going to sing one more song in just a little bit I want to encourage you to just forget everything else and be in the presence of God just be with him in the moment that you're singing doing the best you can making a joyful noise that's my desire for you 
this morning that you wouldn't leave without being in his presence. Be seated. Eight years ago, eight and a half years ago, when Pam and I moved here, I led worship and I don't have to do that anymore and I'm blessed for it but I I never imagined that we'd have the awesome worship that we do have and it just it just blesses me and so much the, what God's blessed us with um, I want to remind you of a couple of things next Sunday is the um, it's the last day to bring boxes to church that's the Samaritan's Purse, the Christmas Child boxes, and there's flat boxes out there that you can fold, and if you need any help folding them, you just let me know because I'm a pro at it, and um, I'll, I'll help you get that done. There's li- there's a list. Everything you need to be able to do one of those is out there on the, uh, the table next to the, next to the boxes, the red and green boxes out there, and um, you'll receive a blessing from it. But there's things that can go in the boxes and things that cannot go in them. And we need to check and make sure we do those right. So um, I've got instructions here. For 10 to $15, you can provide Christmas and the gospel message for a, uh, for a kid who would not otherwise know. Okay, sorry. I'm trying to read Pam's writing. It's usually better than that. Sorry, I also threw... Oh, my glasses. That would help too, wouldn't it? Um, Okay, we have no midweek service the Thanksgiving week. So no Wednesday service. And if you heard about breakfast for um, Chandler High School uh, sports teams this Friday, it's not happening, and I'm not going to discuss why, but it's Cruz, but um, I'm not going to discuss why, but we won't be having that breakfast this but we will have one in the spring like we did last year. All right. I want y'all to take about five minutes and come back in here for an awesome word from Pastor Jacob, the last in the series. So ready, break. Would you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five? Ephesians chapter five. Also, would you greet our Sherman campus, Chandler campus, all the other campuses that are with us right now. Thank you. Thank you for joining and I pray today be a blessing to you, an encouragement, because I want to just encourage you. I'm going to talk about a topic that uh, I have an immense amount of passion for. So condensing it is a challenge. So, uh, but this, this might be one of the most critical things uh, that isn't in the category of like, man, you're not saved if you don't get this. Like, it's not that category, but it's very important on you shining the light. Uh, we're going to talk about wisdom today. Um, I'm in a series on shining the light, what it means to be a light in this world, uh, that in the midst of the darkness of our culture and our world, what does it mean for us to be the light? Jesus calls us the light of the world. Jesus says about himself, he's the light of the world. So how do we work that through? What does that mean? Uh, and how do we live that out? Because it's a matter not of what we say verbally, though it includes what we say. We don't just get to offload being a light to people who can speak really well of Jesus or preach the gospel um, with great articulation. We don't offload the responsibility to be the light onto people who have public gifts like that or abilities to communicate. 
we all are called to be the light. And what that light means is to be transformed by Jesus. It's our character being transformed by the character of Christ, where the light that you and I shine is our life. That includes our words, but it's certainly not limited to it. Your life is the light. And that's what we want to grow in. We want to get better at shining that light, the light of Jesus's life shining through our life. So I've talked about what it means for that light to be a life transformed to be marked by love uh, and what it means to love God and what it means to be transformed by that love to where you and I learn how to love one another. And in the process of loving one another, we're also called to pursue holiness. Holiness is not something that is just uh, some external manipulation technique to try to get you to behave well so that God will like you. Um, That's not what it is at all. Um, Christ has made us holy, but because we've been made holy, holiness is still a big deal. And we're called to live out holiness, to pursue holiness in our behavior, not so that God will accept us, so that people will see God in us. Because God is a holy God and he calls us to be holy. And I spent last week talking about that. I'm going to talk this week about a life being shaped by wisdom. And that wisdom is a light in this world. Uh, And sooner or later we'll get to life being filled with power. Um, Sticking with wisdom, I want to go back to where we were a few verses last week. Ephesians chapter 5 and how he compounds this, these categories of light and dark, how you once were darkness, but now you are light and light being a way that we separate and understand difficult concepts um, by God's standards, like good and evil, life and death, truth and error, right and wrong. That which is holy is in the light and that which is sin is in the darkness. But another layer to this is that which is wise is in the light, and foolishness is in the dark. And this is what he says. I'll start in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness. You didn't just struggle being in darkness. At one time you were totally immersed in darkness in such a way that that's who you were. But that's who you were. He used past tense. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now, because you are light, because that's who you are, because that's your identity, who you are needs to take needs to work its way out in how you live. Walk as children of light. Let the light you are work its way into your day-to-day life, your walk. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Okay, so you got a lot here of light and dark, and how we're to live in the light, and we're to act like we actually live in the light, that it's supposed to be fruit that comes out into our life that is right and good and true. He doesn't change subjects in the next verse. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. Look very carefully because you are light. Pay attention to the day-to-day actions and words that manifest the character that you have. 
pay careful attention to how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Wisdom is in the light. Don't be unwise, be wise. And part of the way that looks, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Evil is in the dark. To be in the good, we need to be wise. To operate in that which is good, you need to be wise. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish because foolishness is in the dark, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God's will, his word is in the light. And that's how that the word is what sanctifies us. John 17, 17. And do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Just like the other works of darkness that he listed above, having debauchery in our life, uh, not having boundaries in our life, uh, and giving in, in this case, drunkenness, but that means far more than being drunk on alcohol. It could be drunk on your anxiety, drunk on fear, drunk on shame, debauchery, giving in to any impulse. Don't, that, that belongs in the dark. What does it mean to walk in the light? Be filled with the Spirit. So this connection here of wisdom being in the light is also connected to recognizing where that power comes from, and that is being filled with the Spirit, that is operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us wisdom on how to live well in the light. Okay, so a life shaped by wisdom. need to get a little bit of understanding of this biblical concept of wisdom Because the temptation in our information-heavy age would be to think that wisdom is knowledge, or that knowledge is wisdom. Having knowledge is wisdom, and it's not. Um, Knowledge is just simply the accumulation of information. It might not even be true, just the accumulation of information. And now, we have more information available to us than 50 years ago. Someone would encounter in their entire life. Everything is just accessible to you with a few little words typed. Not only is information accessible to you with, <laughs> with artificial intelligence, um, the crafting of information is also now being controlled. It's not just giving you information. Information is being crafted to you in certain ways, um, communicated to you as if it were true. Um, and it's just simply the, the crafting of information. Uh, just to keep it simple from the very beginning, because there's a whole lot to this, but to keep it simple, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in your fruit salad. <laughs> so you see the difference. Okay, having knowledge is critical. You don't get wisdom without having a foundation of knowledge, okay? But wisdom is far more than just knowledge, okay? In Hebrew, this word, and if you are literate in Hebrew and articulate in Hebrew, I make no claim that this is completely accurate, okay? This is one of those clear your throat words, all right? So the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah, I make no claim that that is the exact way of pronouncing it, okay? Um, Chokmah, all right? Uh, And that word, it is closer related to skill or applied knowledge. 
One of the first places in scripture you see this is Joshua in Deuteronomy 34 was filled with a spirit of wisdom. It is said of Joseph that he had wisdom. These are, there's, there's okay, there's a lot. So the, the first place though, the first place in your scripture of being filled with the spirit, okay, is actually in Exodus 31. I'm gonna read just a couple verses from that. But Exodus 31 is the first place in scripture to be filled with the spirit of the Lord, okay? It was said of Joseph by a pagan that he has in him the spirit of the gods, which we knew, we, you can just by like deductive reasoning, you can see God filled him with his spirit, but it never says Joseph was filled with the spirit of God. It's a pagan who doesn't understand how this works. He's filled with, a, he has a spirit of the gods in him, okay? Then it is said of Joshua, Deuteronomy 34, that a spirit of wisdom is in him or upon him, okay? But the first time the spirit of the Lord fills someone is in Exodus 31, and it's not for a leader, it's not for a prophet, it's not for a teacher, it's not for a king, a prince, it's for an artist. Let me read Exodus 31, verse 2 through 4. See, I have called by, this is God speaking. See, I have called by name Bethlehel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur. So Hur is the one who was up on the mountain with Moses and Aaron holding up Moses' arms, okay? And he's of the tribe of Judah. And this is Hur's grandson. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in chokmah, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to do what with the infilling of the spirit and wisdom to do what to design artistic works. That's crazy. Like we're charismatics. We love what it means to be filled with the spirit for the spirit of the Lord God to come upon someone. Like we love all that stuff. And we think it's for, you know, some charismatic show. We might even think that it's for ruling and reigning. And all of that is true, okay? It's all included in scripture. But the first time someone is filled with the spirit of God is to be an artist. And being filled with the spirit of God, then in God's chokmah. So this is where you start to see, okay, it's not just knowledge it's craftsmanship, it's skill, it's applied knowledge. In this particular case, it's for the, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and all the furnishings and all of that. And this, this artistic design and work is supposed to embody a type of heaven on earth. And so it's taking God's imagination and crafting it into reality and in works of art. And he needed wisdom for that. So wisdom then is later applied in a bunch of other areas and you get into the wisdom literature like Proverbs and then connected with that Ecclesiastes and Job and it, nothing, I'm telling you, very few things would delight me more than to just do a full study on Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Job. 
I just don't think anybody would show, very many people would show up. So uh, not even here summarizing it, but the wisdom literature begins to pull this idea of wisdom out and understand what it means that it's the skills necessary to live a good life. To live a good life specifically in God's good world. And so this isn't just information. It's not just knowledge. It's a skill. Here, a skill to design artistic works. But God wants to give his people skill in designing a wise life. A life of his wisdom. And if you trace a lot of this stuff, this is why in Proverbs 4, it says the wisest thing you can do is get wisdom. Wisdom benefits someone far more than rubies. That's in Proverbs 3. Far more than jewels, far more than gold and silver. If you could do anything and buy anything, do not buy gold, buy wisdom. That's what the the wisdom literature is constantly uh, showing us. Proverbs 8, the entire chapter is a poem from Lady Wisdom. And in, in Proverbs, wisdom is, is imagined as a lady, as a, as, a, as a person. Lady Wisdom. Proverbs 8, uh, as a whole, it has a couple different units. But wisdom is shown that, that wisdom was employed by God to design this world. In verse 30, he, uh, it says, wisdom was the master artist. Um, in the New Living Translation, it says the architect. So we know that God created the world by his word, okay? But where did the design come from? God's wisdom, God's chokmah, God's wisdom. And so wisdom was the architect of the universe. And so everything from community structures to galaxies to the atomic structure. Wisdom was the architect of all of those things. And so the wisest thing we can do is tap into God's wisdom. Because if you can tap into God's wisdom, you'll be tapping into how he created this entire world. And this is why God's wisdom belongs in the light, but there is foolishness that's in the dark. There is rebellion against God's wisdom. This idea is that when you work with God's wisdom, when you have his wisdom and you design a life informed by his wisdom, structured through his wisdom, you're working with the grain of the universe. But if you want to act in foolishness, you are acting against the grain. And working against the grain of God's universe, you will get splinters. That's why you look at the last couple verses of Proverbs 8 um, it's, the wisdom says, whoever finds me finds life and obtains the favor of the Lord. But whoever shuns me, whoever resists me, whoever rebels against me, they love death. Life, death, light, dark, good, evil. So wisdom and foolishness is in the same category. So the goal would be for our lives to embody God's wisdom, okay, just one of parts of uh, just the second section of this poem in Proverbs 8. Let me read this to you in the New Living Translation. Verse 12. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Evil, it's in the dark. Fear of the Lord, in the light. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance. Arrogance. 
corruption and perverse speech. Common sense and success belong to me. Insight and strength are mine. Because of me, kings reign and rulers make just decrees. Rulers lead with my help and nobles make righteous judgments. I love all who love me. Those who search will surely find me. I have riches and honor as well as enduring wealth and justice. My gifts are better than gold, even the purest gold. My wages better than sterling silver. I walk in righteousness in paths of justice. Those who love me inherit wealth. I will feel their treasuries. That makes wisdom very attractive. You want wisdom. When you're working with the grain of God's universe, that's the result of that kind of life. Now, it isn't to say that you can't have, obviously, people who are foolish have lots of wealth. I look at a lot of people, specifically in the entertainment realm, and think, you don't need any money. Like, you don't know what to do with any money. You're just, you are a fool. You are a rich fool. And there's places in scripture that talk about rich fools. So it's not just having that. It's that, it's that the, the person with, that operates in God's wisdom is able to discern the right kind of life in such a way that, that wealth, riches, common sense, discernment, favor is attracted to that person. Why? Because they're operating with some element of God's, an attribute of God. Wisdom is an attribute of God. And we're operating with that kind of uh, spirit that these things are attracted to that. You're not trying to grasp at it because that, you just, if you keep reading wisdom literature, grasping is not wisdom. But when we learn how to operate in God's wisdom, when it's not just knowledge, like biblical knowledge, there's a lot of fools that have a lot of Bible knowledge. I don't know if you've met any of them, but there's plenty of people who have a significant amount of Bible knowledge, but are still a fool. It's that that knowledge hasn't worked on them. God's wisdom works on us. And we learn, we learn not just knowledge, but we learn how that knowledge works in day-to-day life. Because you are being placed in positions. Some of you are in positions that are very complex. Maybe very volatile. Some of you are in positions of influence and power that the heat is turned up. And the eyes of others are looking on you. And you're having to make decisions that you know have consequences. And darkness would love nothing more than to shape how you make those decisions. And sometimes the answer isn't always obvious and easy. Sometimes it's, it's a matter of courage, not necessarily, you know, careful consideration. It's the courage to make the right decision when faced with opposition. You also need wisdom on how to both stand up for what is right. That's why... Proverbs, the wisdom says that good judgment, making good decisions is found in wisdom, that you can make a good decision and yet it brings significant opposition. In a polarized world, you just, stay, you just pursue holiness and the heat gets turned up 
And it would make you think that maybe I'm not operating in wisdom. Wisdom is not the same thing as compromise. Again, it's not putting a fruit tomato in a fruit salad. It's knowing I know these things and these things are right, but this is how to correctly apply it in this situation. And you and I aren't going to be able to do that without the Spirit of God. But we are called to do it. You don't get, the wisdom is not rejecting all of this, you know, uh, running away from situations. No, it's going into the complexity. It's going into the complexity of human relationships. And I, I, this one example, okay. Everybody, every husband knows that the goal of the conversation isn't necessarily to prove that you are right. But it also isn't to compromise on what is wrong. You need wisdom. You need to know how to work through something to the point of, and at the end of the day, listen, you're not going to be right anyway. Because if the conversation ends and your wife accepts what is right, she came up with it. So wisdom is just like, being okay with that reality. Okay. So we, we, like wisdom should be very, very attractive to us. Because once you operate in wisdom, God's world starts to make sense in a way that the carnal mind can't comprehend. Why? Because wisdom is in the fabric of everything. God put his wisdom. And foolishness, evil, is trying to corrupt all of it. But wisdom gives you insight into seeing the complexity of a situation in a way to see what God's will is. So the Apostle Paul, when he says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, is you, you need to see, I'm faced with a difficult decision. What's pleasing to the Lord? That doesn't always come lightning fast to you. It doesn't always come obvious. Um, wisdom is knowing how to do what is right in the midst of complex situations. And we need, to, we need to operate in that. So how do we get that kind of wisdom? There is one way, and one way only. And it's what the scriptures call the fear of the Lord. And this, this I, have, I, have, I have literally spent 20 hours teaching this one concept, okay? So there's a lot here. We can keep it simple. Just everybody that just like took your breath away. I'm not going to be here that long. You can do it in a few minutes, but it, it, there's far more to this than just something simple. Proverbs 9, verse 10, gives the key to wisdom, all right? There's more, much more, but there is a key that gets inserted to unlock wisdom. And it's very, it is crystal clear. Even the way, well, side note, Proverbs 9 is symmetrical, and it's beautiful. Mm, wisdom is so symmetrical and beautiful, just saying. This is the very center of this symmetrical poem of Proverbs 9, which is also a poem of Lady Wisdom. But right in the middle, uh, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the fear of the Lord that is the foundation and the beginning, the origin of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding you want to understand how the world works according to God's goodness, not according to social structures and what academia has tried to convince us reality is. Just 
generally in opposition to reality, but uh, you want to know how things really are, how life really works. You need to know God, the creator. Before you know his creation, you need to know the creator. And the way in which to tap into his mind, his wisdom, is to walk in the fear of the Lord. This is not the same thing as being afraid of God. Though you relate wrongly to God, there will come a point where there will be reason to be afraid. It's uncomfortable, it's complex, and I'm not going to use this as like a manipulation technique. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we like a few of the verses. Verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 17, if any man has been in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We love those kinds of stuff. I'm all for them. In the middle of those two verses is a set of verses that says, for we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we've done in the body, whether good or evil, to receive what is due for those works. And then the next verse says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade others. Because the reality is we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So if we, want, if we want to, and I'll probably circle back to that because that has to make a lot more sense than what I'm saying right now. But it's, it, it, there's, even if you interpret it wrongly or aren't relating rightly to it, still exists. There is a judgment day where God makes eternal decisions. And those eternal decisions have consequences. To operate in his judgment, though, we need his mind. So what the fear of the Lord is, is a reverence for God. It's recognizing that he is God and I am not. Okay, so the fear of the Lord, if I could summarize this, it's very, man, much more complex than this, but just very simple. It is a moral mindset, okay? The fear of the Lord is a moral mindset. It means to live humbly before God with a recognition that you are not God. So humble is to live submissive to the one who is God. And from the very beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what it means for God to be God is he defines what is good and what is evil. He defines what is right and what is wrong, not me. It doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what I like. It doesn't matter what I think it should be. It doesn't matter what social standards have adjusted or changed. It doesn't matter what cultural definitions are. It doesn't matter. None of those things matter. What matters is what God says. And the fear of the Lord says, I'm not God. Therefore, I do not get to make up my own definitions of good and evil. And so my task as one who operates or walks in the fear of the Lord is to live under God's authority and seek his wisdom, seek his insight, seek his definition of good and evil so that I can live a life pleasing to him. It's not to do that out of, out of terror as if he's gonna burn me if I don't do it right. It's because I love him and I want to please him that I want to know what he calls good. And when I don't live in alignment to that, because none of us are perfect, when I recognize where Adam, I am out of step with his goodness, I repent. Why? Because I'm not God. I'm found in the wrong. And so I'm going to come back under his authority. 
And sometimes, most people might not even notice, sometimes you're in a place of authority or position shining the light and the darkness hates it. So for you to pursue what is pleasing to the Lord, remember what John 3 says, those who love the darkness hate the light. You'll come under heat. You'll come under pressure for pursuing what is God. And you'll be tempted to compromise as if you get to, ter- you get to determine what is good and evil. But you don't. Our job is not, is not to play God. Our job is to live humbly before God and obey. And whatever consequences come, we trust the Lord in it. And that doesn't mean that everything's going to go right. It just means that we can live a life pleasing to the Lord. I like the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases that verse, uh, Proverbs 9.10. He says, skilled living gets its start in the fear of God. Skilled living. This is not about a knowledge that you have lodged in your brain. This is about a life we live. Skilled living gets its start in the fear of God. Insight into life from knowing a holy God. This is why I believe wisdom is connected to holiness. So we want to live a skilled life. We want insight into God's life, God's world, and that's how we effectively shine God's light. Part of the way this starts to work out, one of my favorite places in scripture, it's, a, it's a, uh, Psalm 25. It, it should be part of your active prayer life. Um, but just a few verses in Psalm 25. I like the way the poet says this. Uh, he says, who is the man who fears the Lord? In my Bible, in the margin, I put me. Me. Who's the man that fears the Lord? Me. So whatever he's saying from here is working out who fears the Lord. So whoever walks in the fear of the Lord, that's who I want to be. Who's the man who fears the Lord? Him will he, God, him, the one who fears the Lord, will he, God, instruct in the way that he should choose. I know many of you, I've, I've scanned your faces a couple times, And I'm not just talking generally. I know a few of you specifically are in complex situations where it's not always obvious the right way. And I think that's on purpose. Because when you recognize you're not that smart, you have to put your trust in the one who is. Him will he instruct you, the one who fears the Lord, in the way that you should choose. And then verse 13, his soul shall abide in well-being. He'll be a person of peace and joy. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. And I have every one of my children's names in the margins. My offspring, because I'm gonna walk in the fear of the Lord. And when I get off track, I'm gonna repent and God's mercy will be sufficient. I'm not gonna ever get arrogant as to think that I'm sinless. That's John, last week we looked at that. You're a liar. I'm not going to be a liar. I'm not going to lie to myself and think that I have not sinned. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to walk in the fear of the Lord. And because I walk in the fear of the Lord and nurture a home environment and culture of the fear of the Lord, my children will inherit the land. Whatever, whatever part of the land that I'm not walking in the fullness of inheritance, my children are going to walk in. There's always more to go. 
My children are going to inherit the land because I'm choosing to live in the fear of the Lord. His soul shall abide in well-being. Thank you, Jesus. No matter how, much, how stressed I feel, no matter how much pressure I sense, my soul shall abide in well-being and my offspring shall inherit the land. And then this is one of those big verses in Scripture that I would recommend you memorizing. Verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is for them who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. Covenant is how God works in this world. How do, you, how do you get in on what God is doing? You know his covenant with you. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The close proximity, the secret. If you have a King James or New King James, it says the secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. Who does God whisper his secrets to? Those who live in humble submission to him. Who no matter what he says, I'm going to obey. Doesn't matter if I like it or not. Doesn't matter what I think is good or evil. Lord, what do you say is good? And whatever that is, however much it costs me, I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to go for that. And if, if it makes enemies, you're my friend. If all else forsake me, and there's other places in scripture, the poet says, my mother and father have forsaken me and all have abandoned me. But the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. You, want, he, he, you and I get in on what God's doing when we walk in the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. You start, you start gaining wisdom, not just by accumulating more information, but by being intimate with a wise God who's also holy. And his friendship is for you. And as his friend, he begins to speak to you. And directs you in where you should go. When faced with complex situations or difficult circumstances. He guides you with his wisdom. And you and I become people of wisdom when we live that way. Now Jesus became for us. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. It says that Christ became for us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification. He became wisdom for us. In Colossians 2 verse 3, it says, In him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Jesus is the epitome of walking in the fear of the Lord and being wise. So when Paul says, pay close attention, in verse 15, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. He's saying that Jesus is the standard of God's wisdom and we are to live in him. That's why he spent three chapters articulating a very high Christology, telling us who Jesus is. And then now we're a chapter and a half of how this works. And he says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you see how this works? That God wants to communicate his will to you. And we need to understand it. To do that, we got to walk in the fear of the Lord. We have to live submissive to him and in the light. And do not be drunk with wine. That is debauchery. But be filled with the spirit. Part of the way, filled with the spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It's part of the reason why we begin our worship gatherings with singing. Not because singing has this special place. But part of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, it bubbles up into songs. Now, interestingly here, specifically, taken literally, some of this 
isn't singing to God exclusively. It says addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I will admit, that feels weird, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Like, I'm not the most romantic. So like, even singing to my wife is like a stretch. So you're not getting a song from me. But, But... Part of just the overflowing of the spirit is just joy to be in community with one another. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence for Christ is the fear of God. If you look at the New King James or the King James Version, it says submit one to another one to another in the fear of God. Walking in the fear of the Lord. Walking in the fear of the Lord then isn't just submitting to God, it's submitting to one another. Because I'm not that smart. I need the wisdom and knowledge of the people around me, of the community of God, of those who are walking the journey with me. And I need to be filled with the Spirit to be able to tune into God's goodness and God's truth. And I need the Spirit of God, not just inside of me, but in you. And so we learn how to submit one to another. Why? Because we fear God. We walk in the fear of God. We walk in submissive, humble holiness before God and each other. All right. A commentator says it this way. Wisdom... Um, concerning Ephesians 5, verse 15. Wisdom is knowing God, maturing in our relationship with him and walking with him so closely and perceptively that we are enabled to develop a godly character, live thoughtfully and make proper choices in life. It's transformation. Wisdom is evidence of transformation in your life. So walking in the fear of the Lord is an evidence of transformation in your life. Remember, the light is our character transformed by Christ. This is, there's even a whole, you want to go down a rabbit hole um, in, sorry, I don't know how many of you do, but um, in, in the Proverbs, there's this word insight or instruction. Sorry, it's the word instruction. It's the Hebrew word musar. Uh, and instruction, and it's actually... Uh, sorry. Uh, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 is the introduction to the whole book. And six verses, uh, verses uh, 2 through 7 establish a frame for how you're to understand, uh, how, how you're to understand the rest of the book, okay? And uh, the first verse, verse 2, first 1 says it's attributed to Solomon. Verse 2 says to know wisdom and instruction, Okay, wisdom and instruction. Verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Instruction is to come under a master for the purpose of your character being shaped. So our, our instruction of the Lord isn't just to make us smarter, it's to make us more like him. And so the fear of the Lord is not just studying about God, you need to know things about him, yes, but it's living in reverence before him. It's living in humble submission under his authority. And here, let me piece this together and then we'll land this plane. This is where 
wisdom and holiness work together is in the fear of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, now you need to read the rest of the context that, that is chapter 6, and how we live before God and the promises of what it means to live completely under his authority. Chapter 7 begins in verse 1. It says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. We have these promises. Let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and spirit. And those all hyperlinks, you, man, there's a lot there. But cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. How does holiness mature in our life? I've already, I already explained this last week. You already are holy before God. But how does the holiness that you are work its way into your day-to-day character? The fear of the Lord. Wisdom. The fear of the Lord and wisdom is how our lives conform more and more to God's holiness. So I'm, I'm trying to, you want to live as a light. Here's the key. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Because not only does it make you wise, it, makes, it brings holiness to its full maturity so that our lives reveal a holy God. Again, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is how it all works, is we just live under God's authority, pursue his definition of right and wrong, pursue his goodness, and it, it transforms our life. He transforms our life. Now, if you look back in Ephesians 5, verse 15, look carefully how you walk. The verse right before that, that's bridging the ideas of light and life into wisdom Verse 14, it says, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here's the truth. That's not a direct quotation from Scripture. It's the Apostle Paul, who knows a whole lot more Scripture than you and I, taking four, five, eight places and putting in a blender and mashing it up and delivering Christ to you, okay? Okay? But one of the places that that's quoting is in Isaiah chapter 60. Now he, he says, awake, O sleeper. So this is in the context of darkness and light. So you're in the darkness and it's like being asleep. So you need to wake up, wake up out of the darkness and Christ will shine on you. So Christ's light will be revealed to you. Look carefully, verse 15, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time for the days are evil. So we have to wake up out of the darkness and Christ's light shine, and in Christ's light shining, we walk in wisdom, okay? But look at, look at how this works though. Isaiah chapter 60, verse one. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Paul's saying like, wink, wink, that's Jesus, all right? Arise from the dead. We are in the dark. Arise, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you. Christ will shine on you. The Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings 
to the brightness of your rising. Okay, that's probably worth waking up tomorrow and with your cup of coffee or tea, meditating on that for a little bit. But briefly, for the sake of brevity, when Christ's light shines on you, and you, as Paul is saying, he's pulling all of this together from Ephesians 5. So if you want to take that and go back over Ephesians 5, with you were darkness, now you are light. As you are light and you walk in wisdom, it isn't just people will come to your light. Nations will come to your light. God wants to save cities, regions, nations. The church, remember how I tried to distinguish, you are a lamp, Matthew 5. You are a lamp and you individually are called to be elevated so that the house can have light. So God wants to shine his light through you for you to show his light to the house, to your immediate sphere of influence. But then he says, y'all, a loose translation, y'all together are a city set on a hill. Why? Because God wants to save nations. He wants to save this nation. And how, how does a nation experience the people of God? Well, when we are backbiting, gossiping on one another, when our churches are splitting and our communities are fractured, that's darkness. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. The church needs to rise from that death. But then when we become self-righteous and smug, because we're light and y'all are in the darkness. That's, that's not drawing. That, that's being in the dark. Remember, wisdom says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. So we're to hate evil. And then the next verse, pride and arrogance, I hate. So pride and arrogance is in the dark. It's evil. And if you walk in the fear of the Lord, that will cure your arrogance. If you want to know God and you actually know the one true God, you can make up a God for yourself and, it, and not cure your arrogance. But you come to know the one true God, oh, it, it will humble you. It will humble you. So the church needs to embody God's wisdom in such a way that it shines the light and it's not just individuals, but it's, it's nations that operate. One of the things Paul says in Colossians 4, he says, live wisely. So he's talking about wisdom. Live with wisdom would be um, the like ESV, New King James. Live with wisdom among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. So this is like direct correlation with Ephesians 5. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Nations will be drawn. People will be drawn to you. Nations will be drawn to you. 
Isaiah 33. This is why this is important to me in these very important times, these times of volatility and darkness. Isaiah 33, five and six, it says this, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. All of the, both of those, justice and righteousness, are downflow of wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. We need to treasure the fear of the Lord and walk in humble submission to God's authority and wisdom and knowledge become the stability of our times. I would not describe our culture today as stable. Don't know if you, I don't know if you can pick up my sarcasm or not, but that's not how I would describe our times. And that's at a national level, but it's not like everybody here, everybody in our campuses, like, oh yeah, everything's great. Yeah, the nation's falling apart, but my life, like, it's totally stable. Nothing's wrong. Like, I'm sure that there's something that is creating some instability in your time, some uncertainty. Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of your times. And the strength of salvation and the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Like, man, he treasures the fear of the Lord. And how I want to end today, I, just again, like I have like over 20 hours worth of teaching on this one subject. So getting one message is, I have no idea how I got through my outline, but even that, I don't feel like it was crystal clear. But what I do hope you walk away with clarity is that wisdom is available to you. God's wisdom. It's how he made his world and he wants to reveal it to you. He reveals it to those who operate in the fear of the Lord, who walk in humble submission to his authority. But you have to seek it. And he does grant it. And that kind of wisdom will shine a light that isn't just people drawn to, nations will be drawn to. And that's why I'm convinced those of you who walk in his wisdom you'll be elevated in a time of instability. In times of instability, the person who operates in wisdom will be elevated. Now, sometimes our culture elevates people that are just the loudest. Don't be that. But operate in wisdom, and God will elevate you. And I want to end praying Paul's prayer, where he connects wisdom and darkness and light in a prayer that he prays over the Colossian church. Uh, and this is something that I pray over our church pretty frequently um, that I think is really powerful. And uh, I've taught on this, literally taught, I think, four hours on this one prayer because of how much is in it. So instead of teaching it, I'm just going to pray it over you. And I want you to receive it as a prayer, okay? What Paul prays in Colossians 1, and they'll put it on the screen, but you can just listen to it as much as you would read it. And you just receive this as his prayer. What Paul prays is that he asks God, God, I ask that you fill us, you fill this church with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the intimate and personal knowledge of you. May we be filled with all power through your glorious might 
for all endurance and patience with joy. As we give thanks to you, Father, who has qualified us to take on the inheritance of the saints in light. And we are grateful that you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and you've transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. 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 Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of anybody that wants to be wise, but uh, fear of the Lord. What does that look like? That reverence, what does that look like? I'll tell you what what it looks like. Mary, the mother of Jesus. When when the Holy Spirit came to her and said, you're going to have a baby. She didn't, I mean, she asked, uh, well, I don't understand. How's that going to happen? And the Spirit says, what's going to happen? And she goes, be it unto me, as you say. That's what, that's what reverence for God looks like. That's what fear of the Lord looks like, where you just agree because God says that. And what it causes in our lives is the ability, like, to make a choice. This doesn't happen to me all the time now, but it's happened before where I, I literally, do I go left or right? And the Spirit says, tells you which way to go. It can be some, the person you're going to marry. It can be the the choice that you're going to make with who you're going to hang out with tonight. It can be a business decision that you need to make in your life. And you ask the Lord and he tells you that God gives us a knowledge of which way is the right way. And when we when they show us and it's not what we want, we say, be it unto me, as you said. Because that's the, it's, there's the easy way and there's the hard way. You know what I mean? So as we, um, as we sing this last song, and it, this is still our communion with the Lord. As we sing this song, I just want you to respond as the Lord leads you. And we'll see what happens. Pam and I are going to be standing here. And if you need prayer, and we're not going to stand up here at the front on display or anything, but if you need prayer, just come over here and talk to us. If you have a need of anything, we'll be here. And and there may be someone else that you want to go to and ask for prayer. But this is your time. So worship team, take it away. you, Lord. Darkness 
there is a God and you are not it because how many times do we do we try to play God in our own lives which is what the devil promised Eve you'll get to be God that's not a good choice we don't want that it's your breath in our lungs when when Adam was created, God breathed in him the breath of life. And so that's, that's where our breath comes from. But sometimes, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've talked to a handful of people in my life that said that that was literally all they could do to breathe, was to recognize that it was God's breath in our lungs. And if that's for you this morning, well, I want to pray for you. And I know that Harley's dad is having a hard time after... Uh, he, he was supposed to have a stent put in his heart and he had to have open heart surgery and he's having problems with fluid in his lungs recovering from that and so I'm I'm thinking about him this morning with it's God's breath in our lungs and sometimes that's all we've got so I'm going to pray for him and you if that's where you are right now and so bow with me and agree with me in prayer as I pray for those those people and for us to be dismissed. Father, we recognize that you are the breath in our lungs, that you are healing for us. And so for these at least two people, I'm praying right now that they'd know what it means to be sustained by the breath of God this morning. That you would literally be breath in their lungs, a clear breath with no fluid or anything else, the most effective breath they've breathed in a long time. I pray in Jesus' name for that kind of healing in their life right now. And I pray for us that we would know that figuratively you're the breath in our lungs, that every day that we go on, that we cannot do it without you, even though we try so often. But Lord, bless us with that kind of a knowledge and and bless us with, with what it takes to submit to you. And all the ways that we practice that in our life with our employer, with our parents, with our spouse, that, that submitting to one another. 
I pray that we realize that, know that in a real way more and more in our lives. And that doing that creates a light from within us that is attractive to people. That, the, that we become the light of the world in that way. That we bless others around us in that way. And so bless us as we leave this place to be that kind of a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.